Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, hiring for what's next. In each episode, we'll meet people at the forefront of hiring. In this series, we'll talk about hiring maturity, which is how companies move through different stages as they get better at hiring. Greenhouse president and co-founder John Strauss sits down with talent leaders to discuss their hiring maturity journeys. We'll hear how they did it and what they're focusing on now to be ready to hire for what's next for their companies. They'll share advice to help your team get better at hiring. And now, let's pass it over to John. Hi there. My name is John Strauss, president and co-founder of Greenhouse Software, and welcome to this podcast. My guest today is Lauren Holzer from The Knot Worldwide. Uh, Lauren, why don't you say hi, maybe tell us, for people who are unfamiliar with your company, tell us what you guys do. Hey, John. My name is Lauren Holzer. I'm the Senior Director of Global Talent Acquisition at The Knot Worldwide. So the Not Worldwide is a is a parent company, and and we have many brands um, as a part of the company. I think our our most beloved brand is is of course the Not. We also have Wedding Wire, and essentially we have brands that are celebrating life's biggest moments. So referencing marriages, of course, with the Knot and Wedding Wire. But we also have other brands celebrating children and babies and building a home and also having a, a marriage that's healthy and and one that is lasting. Um, we're an international company, and and uh, you know it's it's pretty fun to to work for a company where we we're celebrating life's biggest moments. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Cool, yeah. I worked for about ten years at a company working on uh, baby stuff, and it's really neat to have people who are going through like some of the coolest, most memorable times in their lives. Oh yeah, you never you never get you never get sick of seeing the like beautiful pictures and the adorable pictures of like weddings and babies and homes and stuff like it. I love it. Exactly. So tell me your journey. How did you find your way to recruiting leadership? I started in recruiting. I did sort of the maybe old fashioned way of working for a staffing firm, cut my teeth there, then had the good fortune of working for a tech company that was going through a really hyper growth stage. And I was with them for about five years and started as an individual contributor and then, and then moved into management um, and sort of was in recruiting leadership from that point on. But, you know, as I was, as I really think about like, when did I become a leader? I mean, I think it's less to do with your title and it's a little bit more to do with when you kind of stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on others and start focusing on the business and making an impact. And um, I actually started doing that as an individual contributor. And, um, you know, you get to know sort of the business and the goals so well that you're able to be proactive. I was really able to, while the company was going through this big growth and sort of seeing the, the needs before I was told what to go recruit for, I was making introductions to leaders um, with really great talent that I felt like could benefit us now or six months down the road that we hadn't even put a rec together for, right? And so um, I think, you know, that's probably the shift for me when it was around starting to think beyond yourself, beyond your own, like, I got to get good at this. Like, you're really about helping others and helping the business. And I don't really think it has anything to do with its title, to be honest. You can kind of do that earlier on. Yeah, I, th- I think, I imagine that that's going to emerge in, in a bunch of these interviews is like that transition from the things that make you great as an individual recruiter are like overlapping, but quite different than the things that make you great as a recruiting leader. And how people make that shift, I think, is super interesting. 
And I totally, you know, became a, a manager and a leader by title, not through any like fancy training at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I messed up a lot and, you know, but I mean, it was really by on the job, like just doing it. And um, I think when I really just focused on how do I make somebody better and how do I make the company better and how do we as a team accomplish something great. So you remove yourself from the equation. That's really where the magic happens, I think. And you don't have to be a manager to do that. That's like kind of the cool thing about it. Right. Yeah. I always watch that with like with people who are new managers when they start to at the end of the quarter when they're summing up what they did and they stop talking about what they did and they start talking about what their team did. And it's like, oh it's happening. You're you're yes. actually making a leap, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well so uh, uh, the point of this podcast we wanted to do is to like, tell the stories of companies who um, kind of work their way up the maturity curve, who uh, leaders like you, who you, know, you take over some group or in your guys' case, and you guys merge two, two big companies together and say, how do you mature the org? How do you become a high performing recruiting organization? So maybe tell the story from when you joined Wedding Wire or the Knot or, or kind of what, what was it like and, and what were the challenges you guys faced at the beginning? Yeah, so I have this like weird personality trait where I I love I love a challenge, I love chaos. I love like I love a build. I I I I when uh people are worried that things have gone off course, I'm like that's my happy place cuz I like to kind of fix things. So I joined um I joined the organization when when it was Wedding Wire. Um, and we, we went through a merger with, um, the knot. And, um, so when I joined with wedding wire, it was a company that, um, had, had so much going for it. It was, it was a great brand. It was leaders that cared about employees, um, and cared about people, I think compassionate leaders. Um, but I think from a talent act standpoint, things were just moving so quickly. There was no real, strategy or process or best practices in place. It, it was a very reactive approach to recruiting. There was no real sense of like the market, the pull through rates. We There was no like dashboards or metrics around Talanac. And I think the team um, felt, you know, that's hard when you're in a team as a team member and you're coming to work every day and you're not quite sure if you're successful because success hasn't been defined, right? And so I think, you know, even the team probably felt a little insecure or maybe felt like order takers um, because it, it just, the, the basis of what is our strategy, how are we measuring success and then executing against that and reporting on, none of that had been established. And I don't think, you know, without that, we weren't able to then also help to educate and inform leaders on the market and, and talent in the market. There was not that sort of education and influential piece of recruiting, which is so fun. As it relates to Talent Act, when I joined, and like I said, I mean, to me, I was like, oh, sign me up. This will be fun. Because we had the right mix. Like you had leaders that cared about people. I knew with that, you can do a lot. <laughs> you know, like the cleanup becomes a lot easier when you have senior leadership that values it, but just haven't had the chance to focus on it from a talent act standpoint. I, I always think that there's like a double-edged sword in there that like when you, um, because it's like a successful company and it's growing and it's a great mission and a great brand and a good culture, everybody cares, you can kind of get away without doing all the things you should do. And you can still make hires. You can still attract people. And then at some point it utterly breaks because you haven't done all of the foundation building you should. And so you realize, oh, wow, everyone's making it up as they go and recruiting. 
and there's no data and there's no process. And suddenly it's like, oh, wait, this isn't scaling at all. We're just getting by on a couple of heroes working really hard. I think you're so right. And I think, um, you know, you can get by in that initial growth stage and then you reach a point where it just doesn't scale anymore. The complexity of the business, there's more business lines, brands, international locations. You're hiring for more leaders across a more dispersed um, company now. And so like the, that's where it's not about being process heavy to the point where it's slowing down, but that's where like good process and everyone being aligned on success matters because the more complex things get, you need a way to simplify. So I do think it ends up breaking at some point. You're right. <laughs> Were there specific signals where you knew like, oh wait, it's breaking. Like we've reached the point where this isn't happening. Were there uh, like people beyond, rec beyond recruiting were noticing it and they're like, wait a second, this is all going bad. I think what happened, I, I don't even know that I could take credit for that. I think that what happened was um, they had brought in a new um, HR leader, my boss, um, who's the EVP of people. And she really came in to kind of transform the entire people function and really modernize it in a way. They, the leaders up until that point, I think were like doing all the things around people without, they were doing the right things in that they cared about people. I think they valued relationships. They, they understood like you can have fun at work. Um, and that was all just happening naturally. But to your point of like being able to scale and at the end of the day, like you, you have to have a true foundation. It, it can't just be about a happy hour culture, right? You've got to be beyond that and think through the employee experience and think through rewards and recognition and, um, and talent act was a part of that. So I think they sort of recognize like, we're going places, we're growing, it's time to really reboot the entire people function. And so my boss was brought in and then I think like four or six months later, probably four months later, I joined. Um, and so we could kind of work in tandem, which was so fun of like talent act, but also I've always been a holistic talent act leader thinking, you know, you're bringing people into the company. We also have to have ways to attract them. Um, and then also make them successful and, and help them win as employees. And so those things were kind of being rebuilt and reimagined um, on the same timeline, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was going to bet that you were going to say some version of all new leadership. Because um, that's typically what happens, <laughs> right? It's like all the people that got you there who did an amazing job, somebody realizes, wait a second, we're going to have some new leadership and we're going to have to rebuild this. And, and it's fun, but it's chaos to go in and rebuild from scratch. Okay. Well, well, so let's think like, where did you, where do you start? I'm guessing you get there, you do the audit, you ask around, you figure out, okay, wait, we've got to like build some structure and foundation here. What would the plan look like? Definitely the discovery piece was huge. I'm a big team person. I mean, I'm the wife of a football coach. So, I mean, we talk about like team dynamics in my house, you know, in an odd an odd amount of length um, around the dinner table. Um, and so it was really important for me to first understand my team's viewpoints on success and how they were feeling about their ability to deliver um, clarity and alignment around what managers wanted. Um, and so I, I got a sense of sort of where they were. And then it was really, let's understand what is the business asking us? You know, like what is success from their standpoint? 
Um, and we did a, we did kind of a, out of the gate, the biggest area was in sales hiring for us. And that's, uh, roles that we hire for in an evergreen fashion. And so it was, um, it was a, it's a different recruiting strategy when you're focused on more of a volume play, which obviously is very different than when you're thinking through tech recruiting and whatnot. So it's sort of different strategies you want to put in place, but that was the area I focused first was really kind of getting our, our sales hiring in a really healthy place. So the first thing was really just understanding, like, what did our pull throughs even look like? Like, how many interviews are we conducting, which gets us to a hire? What does the market look like? Where are sources coming from? Let's map all that out. And then we got into, like, how good are we at predicting winners? Now that we have the pipeline and, and sort of we know the numbers are there to get to a hire, you know, are we actually good at selecting winners? And so then we kind of looked at, um, the interview process and the competencies that we're interviewing for. And then we started measuring success um, of our employees in their first 90 days. And then we looked at the hiring managers who were the best predictors and what were they doing. And so then there was kind of like this education element on, on that side as well. So I think that was the first thing I tackled. And then, you know, the tech and marketing um, side of recruiting, that that kind of came after the after the fact. The really the first thing was let's get our sales recruiting to be predictable. Um, it was always feeling month after month that we'd hit the number, we'd not hit the number. They just always felt like it was um, not something that was a repeatable process. That was a winning process, and so that was really the first thing to get my arms on around. And what, and what was the relationship at that point with, say, the sales leader? Were they like your partner? Were they like yelling and screaming? Like how did that how that relationship go? I, I have to say in this scenario, I had the good fortune of they were excited to work with recruiting. Like they, I think they were a little bit fatigued by it all and feeling chaotic and feeling, you know, they had evolved too. I mean, a lot of the managers were, were reps at one point and they had been promoted from within. So they were looking to continue to develop that muscle of being good at hiring. And so they were really, really willing and um, wanting to partner and, and open to like the feedback and the data aspect of it had, had not really been um, shared before. So I was very fortunate with that team. I mean, I've worked with teams, other teams that, you know, you have a different level of resistance sometimes. So, I mean, I've, I've done that before too, but in this scenario, I think it was, it was really awesome because it was a true partnership. Um, and it was, it's fun when you're solving things together, you know, and your goals are totally block and step like recruiting and the hiring managers and you're like in it together figuring it out um so that's that's kind of what it was is that why you started with them too because i always because i think people always struggle with like you go in and you're like where do you even start and i always say like start with the hiring manager who's willing to talk to you like the one who (laughs) wants to work with you like start there is actually a great place I mean, I think I started with them because I definitely, that was what the business needed. The business needed to be able to hire sales reps in a predictable fashion and not feel that constant stress of like, are we going to hit that number? Um, Because, and part of why I love recruiting so much is because like nothing happens without getting the right people in seat. And I love that sort of the first metric. And so as, especially it's very clear in sales, right? Like you got to get them in by a certain date. There's the ramp period. There's the time when they then are like bringing revenue into the company or not. They're not just a cost, right? So um, I think it was getting out of that frustration of constantly feeling a little bit behind the eight balls or related to bringing talent in. Um, so that's where I started simply because that's what the business needed. That's really what, what the ask was. How long did it take before 
some of the things you were doing, you could start to see paying off and people are like, oh, wow, we're really turning this around. I can feel it. You get other departments saying, yeah, what you did in sales, we want that here. It's all like a blur of activity. <laughs> I think it's all kind of happening at the same time, right? Like, so even though I'm retelling the story as if that was my sole focus, I mean, the reality is like, it's a little bit like you're also putting out fires in other areas simultaneously. Um, and I think it was a renewed energy into, I mean, recruiting is just such an important uh, function in any organization. And I do believe we're at a time where even, you know, C-suite execs realize the importance in recruiting. I don't, I don't, I think we're a little bit past that of like having to kind of say, oh, we're important. I think most people realize that, but it's just of all the things on their plate, it's spending the time to really focus on it. So there was like a renewed um, energy around it. I, I, I didn't with this organization have to really force like, hey, I need you to pay attention to this or, hey, we're going to need this. You know, um, yeah. I've always run a really lean budget. I have to say that's like one thing, even though and I've worked for smaller companies and bigger companies, but um, budget has always been something um, that I treated my budget like it's my money, you know, and I, I feel a sense of pride and it's a true ROI. Like, I love that we can go back and report on not only hires, but their impact to the organization. And if they're successful, like that to me shows like when I'm bringing on and building my recruiting team and what does that look like against a, a recruiting budget and showing that year over year, um, you know, I think that's, that's hugely important to me. Cool. I want to pick up on two of the threads you just opened, but first let's take a quick break. Want to find out how effective your company is at hiring? Then you're ready to take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment at greenhouse.io slash HMA. After you take the assessment, we'll send you specific ideas and strategies to help you take your company to the next level of hiring. Take the free five-minute assessment today at greenhouse.io slash HMA. Checker is a Greenhouse customer-preferred background screening and hiring trust partner, powering over 15 million background checks annually. Checker allows you to kick off background checks alongside your offer letters, all within Greenhouse. With Checker, you can automatically put the right background check disclosure and authorization forms in front of candidates to help you stay compliant with all relevant laws and regulations. Checker approaches diversity in a holistic way and aims to ensure each candidate has a fair opportunity to work, regardless of their background and background check report. To learn more, visit checker.com. That's C-H-E-C-K-R.com. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. So there's a theme in what in, in something you said there that stuck out for me, which is that you're doing two things in parallel, actually. On the one hand, you're like, let's build like structure and process and data and foundation of here's how we should work. But at the same time, you're keeping up with like the daily fire drill of like, get these offers out. And for a lot of people, I think that second part is so overwhelming that they're not able to separate out and think bigger and do the first part of the foundation building. How did you do that? Was it just you? Did you like on your team say, listen, every, like we're all going to take a step back and some of us are going to do process stuff? Or like, how did you think about kind of creating the space for the team to do that longer term planning instead of just keeping up with the day-to-day scheduling and getting offers? It's a really good question. And I think it's, there's always the push and pull of that. And that that's 
reality. Um, I think that what's important to understand is you can do things incrementally. Like sometimes, you know, listening to other leaders and sort of how they do it, it can almost feel overwhelming because you're like, that just, we're not there yet. Or like, I have a very different set of leaders and their appetite is much different, right? I think it's important to understand who your audience is, who your stakeholders are, and what their willingness to kind of move the needle is as it relates to Talanac. And that's on a variety of things, like how much structure do they want in an interview? How much budget are they willing to give you? Like how many more resources, you know, like on a variety of issues. So I think it's important to like know your stakeholders, so to speak. And I think you can still advance a larger um, agenda for how you envision the Talanac function to be. Um, but the truth of the matter is it's always a work in progress. And even when you have that vision and strategy, it will likely change. So I think as you think about where you are today, um, it's a, it, the, you can get the basics as it relates to KPIs. Like sometimes, you know, we live in a world where like there's so much data, you can parse it a million ways. Like if you're overwhelmed by that, pick some really basic measurements understand what the goals are in terms of any expansion roles, and then understand what your turnover is going to look like. Just get a sense of like, okay, in a year, in a quarter, maybe if there's some, you know, cycles to hiring or turnover, what is that going to look like? Like you don't want to get out of reactive mode is I guess the first step. Get to a place where you kind of have an understanding of like, what's going to come my way. This storm is coming <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to get prepared for it, you know, and, and me, that in and of itself will completely shift the dynamics of the team and then how you're interacting with leadership. So I'd say that's the very first thing. And honestly, if that's all you do in a year, that will be a different year for you. Um, and then th that way you can advocate too for yourself and for your team about how you're going to handle that storm. That's a quote we've always had at our company is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so like, there's a million things you could focus on, like pick one and do it. Yeah. And once you have belief that you've done it once, like then you can pick the next one. And if every quarter you do one thing better, like after eight quarters, like, holy cow, you'll be in a whole new place. Totally. I agree completely. And I think there's, there's value in like, you know, podcasts and, and the conferences and there's webinars, there's so much information out there and there's value and, and constantly learning. But I think it's also picking what you can use today and some stuff you use later. You know what I mean? You, like you have to kind of almost curate and understand how you're going to prioritize action. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, it's important not to get so overwhelmed by it and not to let like perfection or grandeur get in the way of true progress that can be incremental. And, and especially in organizations where I think, you know, potentially you could be met with resistance or there are lower resources, just going from a reactive to a, a proactive posture in recruiting will change a lot. And then you can just throw in some really basic, like I'm going to report, ask your leaders, what information would be helpful for you to see? They probably haven't even thought about it. Like if, if they're that kind of early stage, they probably had never even really thought about it. They're like, I don't even need anything from you. Well, how about if, you know, every month I'm going to show you as an executive, all of your active roles, all the progress on it, your, how long does it take us to fill? I'm going to also show you all of our talent competitors. We map out the talent, right? Like let's, let's do an education or, a, or an understanding of the market. 
um, and just kind of come up with like whatever's going to be helpful for them. They might be in a mode where they need to understand the market more than they need to understand time to fill. You know what I mean? Like kind of come up together with how, how can you help them be a better hiring manager? Because making good hires is a skill they have to have and continue to develop. And you're like their coach in it. You're like their person there that can help them be really great at this. Ultimately, the decisions are theirs. We're here to help mentor and advise, right? But a really important thing that's implicit in what you just said is that like, you go to them. Like you go to them and set the terms of like, here's how you should actually judge how well we're doing. We're making these hires. We're working this fast. We have good like offer acceptance rate, whatever it is. And what I see, the mistake I see so many people make is they don't do that and they wait and they wait for something to go wrong. And then the C-suite comes knocking and says, why haven't we made our hire? And now like you're on defense and you're kind of done. Like there's nothing, like it's really hard to get out from under that. And so you have to be proactive and like set the terms of here's how we should judge how we're doing. If they say, well, that's not that interesting. I want to learn this other thing. It's like, great, then we'll do that. But at that point, you're, you're a partner with them and figuring you're it out. You're ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in it together. And I totally agree. Like your job and any, I don't, I don't care if you're an entry level coordinator to a, to a lead tech recruiter, to a VP of talent app, like your job is to be the expert. And even if you don't feel like you have all the information, cause we're living in a world where, I mean, no one is an expert, really. You know what I mean? Like there's just when you get good at something, the world is shifting in a way that you have to develop new skills, right? So, so there's value in being really comfortable with always learning and educating yourself and like that learning and, you know, a maturity stage um, is going to be different company to company. But I think to assume the responsibility that you are here to help the business get better at hiring. So what do you have to do to get better at it? How do, cause they're going to look to you. They, they're thinking about their product. People thinking about product, their marketers thinking about marketing. That's how they're spending all their time. Okay. You, you know, we as talent act professionals need to be spending our time about understanding how do we get better as an organization? Cause I'm going to go out and serve my managers and help them get better at it. Cause they're not going to spend all the time in the world on it. They got another job. This is very much, you're making the case for why we did this hiring maturity curve thing in the first place. It's just to help people assess, where are you? What are the 27 things you could focus on? Pick one. Here's what to do. Because that's a, that's, a, that's exactly right. Um, well, let's look forward. Like, imagine, like, I'm sure you guys have gotten to some better place than where you started. But to your point, it's never done. What does success look like in a year? What, what do you think your operational look like? We'll be like, oh, this is what we're going to be so much better at a year from now than we are today. Yeah, I, I love this question. And I think it really, this has been a year for me of how do you want to show up in your work as a team member to the company? You could even apply this like to your friends and family, right? And and it's that we're always looking to get better, right? Like you're always looking to, you don't feel too comfortable all the time. Like when you get hit with something, like we've all been hit this year with many um, changing dynamics and it's scary. Um, it's about really getting comfortable with a little bit of fear (laughs) and kind of acknowledging like, so now, so as I think about success, it's about stepping into the things that I actually have a natural resistance to potentially, because I don't feel like an expert. 
It's about evolving and redefining and expecting more of myself and my team. And like to give you an example of that is really just we, we've redefined success in recruiting um, and it's evolved over time. So like as I think about and talked about my first, com- you know, starting out, it was really about let's get the hires. And then we said, okay, we're good at that. Now we want to hire people who are high, high impact, who are performers, and we're going to measure that. And then it turned into, well, now we need to scale it. It needs to be repeatable, okay? And now we've just changed it to say, and we also have to measure diversity within our pipelines, okay? So success has now evolved over time. And we're as you get good at something, you ask more of yourself, you ask more of your team, and it's, it's something that makes your job harder. But I also think you have to sort of have gratitude that you have the opportunity to get better. And you have to kind of rise up to be like, I'm going to step up into this and kind of serve and do more because we can, because we've graduated to it, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, that's sort of how I think about success in the next year is continuing to redefine and not get too comfortable with how we define it. You know what I mean? It's to kind of like push a bit more of like, how do we be better um, at finding great talent, at scaling it? Um, and then, you know, I think reimagining how we're now we're looking at our pipelines and data around our pipelines, you know, as we think about diversity in our pipelines, we're, we're on the front end, um, of a search now having conversations we didn't have two years ago. And we're saying, what are we doing to get our jobs in front of more people? Right. And how are we thinking about sourcing and how are we thinking about job posts? And Miss Manager, you and I together are coming up with a game plan to reach a diverse candidate pool. And then we're going to measure it and we're going to see if we did it or not. And we're going to come back and maybe strategize again because it didn't work, you know, but like that conversation was not happening. And so um, that that's kind of cool to see that evolution. Yeah. And just, and I mean, and the point is like with each of those generations of things that you focused on, it was like, well, you were intentional about it. And you said, Hey, like we're doing this thing well, but now we have to scale. So how do we do what we're doing systematically so that it scales? Now we're talking about diversity and inclusion and saying, Oh, actually, right. We have like as much as people want to think they have been. The truth is, like when you actually apply yourself and get really intentional, you do things differently, and you realize, oh, we are doing things differently, and like it has a good shot at working. And if it doesn't, we'll just keep keep trying. And like it's good that more and more people are trying. I think so, and I think um, whether it's um, you know a diversity and inclusion initiative or another initiative that's really an advancement in your function it's uncharted territory for a lot of, a lot of companies, you know what I mean? And so I think to your point around having intention, it's just that how do you continue to talk about things that you're trying to get better at? How, you know, how many conversations are you having over the course of a day or a week around it? How much learning are you doing? And then from there, you can kind of say, okay, well, this makes sense for us now at this time, but you've got to, you got to do the work and you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable in whatever whatever you're tackling that's new and that happens at a variety, you know, of stages in your career and in life. Oh, I mean, that's how you build a career, right? Um, all right. Now I want to change gears and let's try a lightning round of a few questions. Are you ready? All right, let's, let's do it. Okay. Tell me your favorite HR tech tool other than greenhouse, of course. Other than greenhouse, of course. 
I would have to go with just like good old fashioned, like Excel and sheets, like being a data person, like that's where yeah. we live the most. If I'm thinking through investments, it's um, for tech recruiting, it would be hired has been, has worked well for us. Um, LinkedIn, but I mean, I'm kind of traditional in the sense of like, when I think of um, tech and recruiting, I, I'm, I'm also like a big activity person, you know, like let's, let's see the, let's see the outbound, let's see the reach out, let's see our inbound, let's look at that. And generally, if you're paying attention to that, you're going to make good movement. Um, I think sometimes when we're doing too many things, you're not actually seeing what's working for you. So it's like, understand the resources you have and how they're performing for you before you make new investments would be my advice there. Honestly, I'm going to read the, the, the most valuable tools Excel as an indictment of the failure of the entire HR tech ecosystem, <laughs> including Greenhouse. It is still spreadsheet. Um, next one. Um, biggest mistake you'll never make again. In recruiting, we can keep um, it. Going. Yeah, the Not biggest so mistake I'll never. Okay, so I've like had my slew of like dumb little mistakes, like the like reply all when you shouldn't have, and like the like cringy moments. I've had those cringy moments. I think I've totally learned to like double check. It's like dumb little things. Um, I think I've also like though with that, I give my I give myself a little grace now. It's like you know. I don't beat myself up. I think I probably internalize things more than it even mattered. Like people make mistakes. Like it's not, you know, um, I haven't had any like catastrophic mistakes that really cost the company. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe little e ego hits probably. Uh, but you know, you survive them and okay. most people don't even remember. <laughs> well, how about related question? Biggest mistake you definitely will make again. I think I, I move quick. I like to move quick. I'm a momentum person. Um, and I will always feel comfortable moving quick and making some errors over waiting. Um, that's just sort of my nature and my, and I'll back my team hundred percent. And I know my, my, um, manager backs me with that as well. Like, I think you gotta, you gotta feel like you can move quick and then like recover if you went off course. Fair. How about a piece of advice for somebody who's becoming a head of recruiting for the first time, kind of going back to where we started? What would you yeah, tell you? Yeah. What would you tell yourself when you're first taking that job? I think it can be really overwhelming um, when you're trying to get in and diagnose everything. I think the biggest thing is just understanding, you know, again, like what is success in recruiting at your organization and getting alignment from your stakeholders and your leaders on that. So know what they expect. And that can change over time and you can influence maybe different factors in that as well, but you want to understand how they're viewing the function. Um, and I think it's about kind of getting that data, uh, you know, getting, get, uh, defining success, getting that data to be able to measure. And then I think it's also a about building trust, like recruiting is an art and a science. I mean, I, I love it for that reason. There's a lot of nuance to recruiting. Um, and you, you want to have, you want to develop relationships and some relationships will happen naturally and quickly and others take a little bit longer. And I think don't get discouraged by that. You're going to have some personalities that you work with that they just, it's not that it, they don't need to be your best friend. And, but I'll tell you what unites everybody is performance. If you do a good job, people respect you and you get credibility and you earn trust that way. So I think just understanding that you want to be able to partner. And so know your, know your folks that you're working with. Some, like I said, it'll happen quickly and some take time, but don't 
that that is important. I think it's really important. Yeah, I always say like there's always oh the CTO is super difficult. I'm like yeah, don't worry about it. Like don't don't engage. Like find the person who's easy and be successful. When everybody realizes that this is working, they'll come to you and it'll be fine. Yeah, and guess what? Your CTO is going to love you when you bring them great people, or when you educate them on what we need to do in order to get great people. Like your CTO will listen at some point. You know when you provide value. So um, yeah, so there's always there's always a way there's always a way to do it. Cool. Last one. Um, tell me the story of a hire you're most proud of. This is a hard one. <laughs> this is a hard <laughs> one. As I like think about the hire, it has less to do with the prestige of the role, so to speak. And it has more to do with, I think going back to the hiring, the like hiring manager that maybe you're not seeing eye to eye on. Like I think about the work over a period of time with a hiring manager who maybe came into it resistant or figured it would be super easy. And you had to, I'm a big show, don't tell. You go in with data. uh, You go in with organized, ready to run a meeting. You go in with pipeline reports. And then over time, you see that relationship completely blossom. Those are the hires I'm like most proud of. Like, I, I think it's less to do with the actual role and more to do with that, like evolution with the manager. That's cool. I think that's a, that's a great place to end. I think that's very much what this hiring maturity thing is about is like working your way up that curve and and building those relationships. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. It's really fun. I I love talking about Talonac. I I think it's so important to every company. People, you know, recruiters should be so proud of the work they're doing. It's so valuable and meaningful. So it's something I love talking about. What else is there to talk about at this point? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hiring Maturity Success Stories on the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. Wondering how to start optimizing your own company's hiring? Take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment now at greenhouse.io slash HMA. Don't miss a moment of hiring for what's next. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the latest episodes. 